name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Last week, I, uh, I told you that uh, I didn't learn Morse code until I wanted to learn Morse code. And I, I said to all of us that you'll never mature, you'll never be maturing until you decide I want to be maturing in whatever area it is that, that you're faced with. Until you want it, it's not going to happen. And that was true. It's true for all of us. I think it's true in every area of our life. But once I wanted it, once I decided I want to learn Morse code, let me tell you how I got my Morse code from like 10 words to, to a minute to almost 20 words to a minute. And, and I did it by in this way. Way. I did it because I practiced. I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I didn't particularly enjoy it either. But then all of a sudden one day I realized, wow, I'm listening to Morse code at 18 words a minute and I'm understanding what they're saying. Ted Williams was a baseball player of a generation or two ago, at least two generations ago, and he was a superstar in his day, and he was known as, they called him the natural born hitter, and so he was being interviewed on that, and they asked him about his natural ability, and this is what Ted Williams said. He said, and I quote, there is no such thing as a natural born hitter. I became a good hitter because I paid the price of constant practice, constant practice. We're talking about a framework for discipleship, an essential framework that you and I as as disciples must invest in if we're to be like Jesus, if we're to follow Jesus the way that he wants us to follow him. And I've chosen Colossians, and and let me just, not from from my own study, but from someone else's, I've chosen Colossians to be, if you would, the foundation for this framework that we're seeking to build. And the Colossians 1 passage, which we've heard week after week, is this. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. I said that um, the framework for discipleship consists of a, a solid motivation. And then the second week, we talked about a committed obedience as part of that framework. And then we said there needs to be a growing wisdom or a growing understanding. Last week, we said there needs to be a development of maturity in every area of our life. And this morning, I want to talk about, I want to suggest that part of this framework is investing ourselves in the habits of spiritual disciplines. Paul tells the Colossian church that they must, he does, they must labor in their following after Christ. He says, he says, I labor for this striving. And I'm suggesting to you that the labor that he's talking about is investing yourself in spiritual disciplines, disciplining yourself to this end of following after Jesus. Um, last week we said the framework included a pressing towards maturity. I'm going to suggest that disciplining ourselves is how you and I press towards that maturity. Okay, so part of the framework is recognizing I must develop. I must, there's areas in my life that I need to grow in. This, this day we're talking about the spiritual disciplines, the disciplining of ourselves that will lead to the maturity in, in that area. 
Now, if, you, if you've been with us from the beginning, if you've been paying attention, if it lodged itself in your mind, you'll remember that from the beginning I said, I don't want to just give you a list of spiritual disciplines. I didn't want to give you a list of things because I think discipleship has to be, it has to be seen in a broader framework than just doing certain things, right? That being said, now I'm going to tell you there are certain things that we must do if we are to become mature, if we are to become this disciple of Jesus that's well-pleasing in his sight. There are some things that we have to do. So what are spiritual disciplines? So here's a definition. Spiritual disciplines are biblical routines that a believer practices to help himself or herself grow or develop to become more like Christ. That's a mouthful, but let me just kind of repeat the points. Spiritual disciplines are biblical routines. They are something that I do over and over again as a believer. And doing these things over and over again is going to help me become more like Jesus. Now, um, I want you to know that these disciplines, I'm not, they're not attitudes. They're not character qualities. Disciplines are much more mundane of that. They're practices. They're things that we do. They're not graces. They're not the fruit of the Spirit. These are activities that I'm willing to engage in that will hopefully produce character and grace in my life. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a few moments, so hold that thought. There, there is no consensus on a list of spiritual disciplines. If you go to your Bible, I can't say, hey, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians where Paul gives us the list of spiritual disciplines that we need to invest in our life. There is no such list. And, and so, you know, readers of God's Word have compiled different lists. There's no consensus. And, you know, there's a, excuse me, there is a general consensus, but it's not an absolute consensus as to what these spiritual disciplines are. Dallas Willard and the Spirit of the Disciplines compiled a list. And I'm going to use that list this morning minus one of the ones that he included. I've removed it because I didn't really feel like, I personally didn't think it was a spiritual discipline, so I, I removed it. Um, but he, he came up with this list from what he believes were modeled by Jesus. Okay, so this is a list that he sees modeled by the Lord. And uh, so we're going to share with that. Now, typically, I'm going to share that with you. So typically, the, the list of disciplines can be divided into two categories, disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of activity, disciplines of things I remove from my life and disciplines of things that I put in to my life. And um, the disciplines of abstinence might be things like, I stop talking for a while so that I can just be silent and listen to God. That's removing something from my life. And, and uh, again, we'll, we'll look at some of those things in a little bit. The, the disciplines of activities, on the other hand, are, are things that I put into my life to help me mature. Dallas Willard writes, and I quote, the disciplines of abstinence must be counterbalanced and supplemented by disciplines of engagement or disciplines of activity. So, it's choosing to do certain things that are going to help mold me into the image of Christ. And we'll come back to those disciplines. You should have received in this morning when you came in. Hopefully you got it. If you didn't get it, feel free to get up and run out to the back and get a bulletin because there's a list of disciplines. You're probably going to want that if you don't have it with you right now towards the end because we're going to go over those. So that's at the back on the back table back there if you didn't get one. So anyway, but first, before we go to that list, what I'd like to do, and I appreciate Monk reading the passage for us, I'd like to answer the question, why should you do this? Why should you invest in spiritual disciplines? Why should you discipline yourself? Why should you 
take on these routines and routinely do them or often do them. Why should you do that? Why should you make disciplining yourself part of the framework of following after Jesus? And I think Paul gives Timothy six reasons that hopefully will become our reasons and your reasons this morning from the letter that he wrote to to him. And I'm going to just go through the text now. Monk read it for you in its entirety. He read it for you in its context. I want to kind of just go through and show you the reasons that I see as to why you should embrace what I'm challenging you to this morning, the disciplines of the spiritual life or the disciplines of the Christian life of following after Jesus. Here's reason number one. Spiritual disciplines help train you to be like Jesus. The disciplines that you and I invest in our life are going to help us become conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, um, Spiritual disciplines, what this means is, now listen carefully to this, spiritual disciplines are not an end in themselves. They are a means to an end. And the end is that I be like Jesus. The means are the disciplines. Here's verse 7. Have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. We are not godly because we practice spiritual disciplines, okay? That's the mistake the Pharisees made. They said, because we do all these spiritual disciplines, we are godly. No, these disciplines are going to be a means to produce godliness in your life. You're not godly because you do them. Hopefully, they're going to produce godliness in your life. And I'm going to suggest to you, and I believe I'm right, that godliness is another way of saying being like Jesus because Jesus was God. So therefore, godliness is being like him. And so I do disciplines not because in doing them, as I do them, that makes me God. They're going to result in... Are you all following what I'm saying here? Merv Griffin, in his show, of course, he's been dead a while, and some of you older folks will remember his show, but, and I've told you this story before, but he had a bodybuilder on his show. And, uh, you know, bodybuilders with the little underwear, and they, they show every muscle they've got on, right? And so, so he's flexing his muscles for Merv. I wasn't going to do it for you all, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to show. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, so the, the, mu- the muscle builder does his little thing, right? And Merv says, what's that muscle for? And the guy goes, he does it again, right? And he goes, no, 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 what's that muscle for? And the guy goes, he said, well, what's this muscle for over here? And the guy goes, he doesn't get what Merv's asking. What does that muscle do? The bodybuilder, he was building muscles just for show. Here's my point. You don't do spiritual disciplines just for show. You don't do them so people can look at you and say, oh, what a spiritual man. He spends so much time in his Bible. What a spiritual man. He's committed to walking in a holy, whatever it might be. You don't do spiritual disciplines so people think how holy you are. You do spiritual disciplines because they produce godliness in your life. Someone said this, and I so appreciated this. They said spiritual disciplines are not meant to make you more liked by Jesus there to make you more like Jesus. Isn't that great? I love that statement. For those of you that are slow, let me repeat it, okay? Spiritual disciplines are not to make you more liked by Jesus. Oh man, I just love Jimmy because God's saying this because he does, he does, he reads his Bible every morning or he goes to church and he's part of the gathering or he, he spends quiet time with me. Oh, I just love him because he does those things. No, those things make me more like Jesus. They don't make me more liked by Jesus. They make me more like Jesus. 
And we get that confused so often. So why should you discipline yourself, train yourself? Because it's going to make you more like Jesus. Here's the second reason Paul says to Timothy, I believe. Spiritual disciplines profit you now in this life. Look at verse 8. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it's whole, it holds promise for the present life. I've thought a lot about that this week because Paul's contrasting physical discipline and spiritual discipline. And he says, man, there is benefits in physically disciplining yourself. Let me talk about that for just a moment because it's important. You know, if you train yourself physically, you will benefit from it today. You're going to be healthier. You're going to have less disease. Listen, everyone, if, if so many of us will cut down on our eating, we'll, 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 the diabetes will go away. The difficulties in our joints will go away if we discipline ourselves physically. If we eat better food, if we get a better good night's rest, we'll live longer. We'll have less disease if, if we just discipline ourselves physically. There is benefits in this life for you doing that. And, 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 you know, and I don't want to minimize it because God's not minimizing it. He says there's benefits there. And some of us need to really take that to heart. But, but Paul's point to Timothy is that there's spiritual benefit also in the spiritual disciplines. And it's benefit right here in this life. Training in godliness will benefit you because here, here it is. You're going to be more like Jesus. So consequently, as you're more like Jesus, you're going to become a more loving person. You're going to be a more gracious person. You're going to be a kinder person. You're going to set aside anger and harshness because you're more like Jesus. You're going to exercise more self-control in your life because you're more... See, disciplining yourself today, guys, spiritually, it affects your life now, not, not some other time. Right now it affects your life. It makes you a different person. Can I even say this? It makes you a better person. Because when we say Jesus is our epitome of the best person there is, right? It's going to make you a better person as you get like him. Most marriages end up because, end up in failure, most marriages that do end up in failure, end up in failure because both parties are selfish. And godliness trains us to set aside selfishness and to live selflessly. So the truth is, you know, your, your marriage will benefit as you, as you become more like Jesus. You'll be humble. You'll be a servant at heart. I have watched people I have watched people over the last 35 years, I've watched them change and become better people. They, 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 their marriages have been healed. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have some rough times, but it, I've watched their marriages heal as people have grown in spiritual godliness. I've watched people leave behind harshness and anger as they become godly people because they're practicing spiritual disciplines of godliness. They're becoming more like Jesus. And there's more. There's more to this. Jesus told his disciples, remember this? When the rich man comes and walks away, remember Jesus says to his disciples, man, it's so hard for the rich guy to get saved. I mean, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle, whatever that meant, than for the rich man to be saved. And you remember Peter speaking for everybody, he says, but what about us? We've left everything for you. Remember that? And here's what Jesus says uh, to them in return. He said, um, he said, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and fields with persecution. 
I mean, Jesus says, hey, listen, as we train ourselves for godliness, what we get is family. We get persecutions, and we may lose an awful lot because we follow Jesus, but he says, man, we just get each other. And that's a huge benefit for walking in godliness. On another occasion, Jesus said to his disciples, remember this? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, which I think is train yourself for godliness. I think it's another way of saying that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. And what, what's going to happen? And all these things. What things? He just talked about God providing for all our needs. All these things shall be added to you. You know, there's great benefit in being a godly person and pursuing spiritual discipline. There's great benefit now uh, in, our, in our lives. Um, but let's move on. Here's the third thing he says. However, unlike bodily discipline, here's your third reason. Spiritual discipline has benefit in the life to come. Now, I don't care how fit you are. I mean, some of you are buff, man. If you took your shirts off, you'd have that six-pack of abs, and you don't, have an, uh, you don't have an ounce of body fat on you. I mean, you're just right. And some of us might be really, really overweight and just, uh, you know, not taking care of ourselves physically. I tell you what, put both dead people out in the field out here, and the buff person's going to go back to dust. Just as I don't know if he goes quicker or faster than the fat person who's out of shape, right? But physical, physical shape doesn't help you in death. It doesn't. And so Paul says, but there's a difference between training yourself for godliness because it holds promise not just in this life like physical discipline does, but it holds promise in the life to come. Verse 8, let's look at it again. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but, for, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise in the present life and also for the life to come. Um, we know that following after Jesus leads to eternal life. In the passage I just quoted you a minute ago, when, uh, when Jesus says to Peter, you know, you're going to, you know, those of you that have left everything in this life, you get, you get it all back now through, through your family. He goes on and he ends that text by saying, uh, who will not receive a hundred times more now, in this, now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, chil uh, children, fields, and pers with persecutions, and eternal life in the age to come. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says something really similar to that. He says, For just as you offered the parts of yourself as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. You know, there's that, there's that offer yourselves to, uh, to spiritual disciplining yourself, which results in sanctification, which results in being like Jesus or being holy. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have been enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in and sanctification, being like Jesus. And the outcome is eternal life. So it could be that when Paul says it holds benefit in the life to come, that he's really talking about, hey, and, and with, your, with your practicing spiritual disciplines, you get eternal life. And if he means that, if he means that, he's not saying you earn it. He's saying it, it's the res, it, it results or, I mean, it's the outcome of being godly. We, we gain eternal life through following after Jesus. He may mean it that way. You follow what I'm saying there? Okay. He could mean it that way. But as I've thought about this all week, I'm wondering if he doesn't mean more. If he doesn't mean that it's not just that we gain eternal life because God has given it to us in Jesus by faith, but it, but it, could, mean that, it could mean that there's a correlation in the kingdom to come between our pursuing godliness in this life and what is to come. 
I wonder about that. Don't you wonder about that? I mean, the, the brother or sister who has devoted themselves to following Jesus with all their heart, and the brother or sister who has faith but has, has been selfish and not willing to invest in growing, you, you, I wonder, would, would there not be ramifications in the kingdom to come for, for that kind of difference? You know, I don't know, maybe that's what he means. In verse 9, if you have your text open, again, it's 1 Timothy chapter 4, but if you have your text open, verse 9 says, this is a trustworthy, this saying is trustworthy, excuse me, and deserves full acceptance. Now, people have looked at that and they say, well, is it looking back at verse 8 or is it looking forward at verse 10? I'm pretty sure it's looking back at verse 8. And let me read verse 8. For training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it's all promised for the present life, but also for the life to come. I believe that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. That is a trustworthy statement that when you invest in spiritual disciplines, you're investing not only in this life and it's benefiting you now, but it'll benefit you in, in the life to come. And so because of that, verse 10, for this reason, here's what Paul said to the Colossian church again, we labor and strive. Labor and strive in what way? To discipline himself spiritually. We labor and we strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We labor and we strive. What I'm challenging you to this morning, everyone, listen carefully. What I'm challenging you to Listen up back there in the back. What I'm challenging you to is this. Give yourself to spiritual disciplines. Labor, strive. The whole idea of discipline, I'll say this again, but discipline, it's not fun. It's not easy. You discipline yourself because there's something in you that doesn't really want to do that. And so Paul says, I labor and I strive, and I'm challenging you, young people in the back, labor and strive. Um, and to the church at Corinth, here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. And it's really similar. It's a metaphor, and you know it. But li- just listen. You don't have to turn here. Just listen. This is 1 Corinthians. I think it's 1 Corinthians 9. It might be 2 Corinthians, but listen. Here's Paul. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way uh, to win the prize. Now listen. I'm not competing against. I'm not, I'm not racing against you, Dale. And I'm not racing against you, Rich, okay? I'm not racing against anybody. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying in a real race at the stadium, there's only one person that wins. And if you want to be the person that wins, you've got to discipline yourself. And you've got to really train. And you've got to to run hard. He's saying be like that person in your life with Jesus. Discipline yourself. Train. Strive. Labor for it. Now everyone, verse 25, who competes exercises self-control in everything. You have to do that too. They They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. He says, man, they're laboring for a little green bush that they're going to, this isn't, you don't get gold and silver, you know, trophies back then. I'm sure you get accolades and I'm sure it financially benefited them. You know what they got? They got a little green wreath that you put on your head that they couldn't hang on the wall because, you know, months from then it would dry out and, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't artificial. There wasn't nothing artificial. They're doing all of that to gain this. And he says, man, we're laboring because what we gain is something that's imperishable, something that's forever. 
And so, man, work at least as hard as those guys, is what he's saying, who want to win that race. Hey, you discipline yourself like that. He says, concerning himself now, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching uh, to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You know, I don't want to try to explain all those verses. I just simply want you to know that Paul says, man, I discipline myself with strict control. I discipline myself. So I, I'm, just, I'm not just air boxing, you know. I'm not just, you know, I, I, I work hard at this, he says. One comment before I move on, verse 10, For this reason we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now this verse, I, you know, I just feel like I just need to comment on it. Verse 10 is a verse used by Christian universalists as, as an appeal that God at the end is going to save all men. That's what it kind of says, right? For this reason we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people. And so the Christian Universalist says, there it is. You see it? And you know what? If that was the only verse we had, that might be true. But that's not the only verse we have. And the consistent teaching of Paul and the consistent teaching of Scripture is that there's a day of judgment that leads to destruction or that leads to eternal life. And so the Christian Universalist, I believe, uh, is, is wrong there. Um, you know, Jesus is the Savior of all people in the sense that, in my estimation anyway, Jesus died for all men. And his death is sufficient for all men. But he's especially the Savior of those who put their faith in him. He saves us who put our faith in him. Number four reason. The fourth reason to pursue spiritual disciplines is because age isn't an excuse. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Here's what Paul is saying. I don't care how young you are. It is not an excuse for you not to pursue spiritual disciplines and godliness. So, young people, let me speak to you. And granted, I bet you, Paul, I mean, uh, Timothy was older than you. But I would say to you, you should be disciplined in your talk. Back row young people, are you listening to me? You got the earbuds in, right? Don't know what you're listening to. Listen to me for just a minute. Here's the deal, guys. Your talk, your actions, discipline yourself in love and faith and in purity. Young people all around the room, listen to me. This is for you. This is for you. Age is no excuse. You can't say I'm too young. If you understand what I'm saying, then the onus is on you to discipline yourself for godliness, to be that spiritually mature person that you need to be. It's on you. It's on you. Now, older people, here's what I've noticed about us. Young people, they, they, they think they're too immature or they, they are too immature. They're unwilling to discipline themselves because, hey, I, I just, I'm still young. I'm not really accountable. Yes, you are. If you understand the good news, if you understand Jesus, you are accountable. You're not too immature if you understand. But older people, you know what I've noticed about us? Because I'm going to put myself in that group. Hey, we coast. We coast. Hey, I've disciplined myself long enough. I'm just going to coast through the rest of my life. And I'm not going to really, because why? Because disciplining is hard. Disciplining myself is hard. And so I'm just going to coast. I've already disciplined myself enough. Older people, why should you press on and discipline all the way to the end? So that Jesus will like you more? No, you discipline yourself to the end because every day you can become more and more and more like the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
Age is not an excuse. You know why you should pursue discipline, spiritual discipline? Because I don't care how young you are in this room, and I don't care how old you are in this room. It's for all of us. Number five, here's another reason to discipline yourself, because practice makes progress. Look at verse 13. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Timothy, in the church there with God's people, do those things. Don't, don't neglect the gift that's in you. It was given to you through prophecy and with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Well, he could be just referring to verse 13 through verse uh, 14, but I don't think so. I think he's going all the way back up. Practice these things, spiritual discipline, the things I just told you. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident uh, to all. Here's the reason why you spiritually discipline yourselves, Isaiah, Elijah, no, Isaac, no, Malachi. <laughs> I'm old, guys. I'm old. Here's why you do it, okay? You do it because your, your practice will progress you. It will make you more like Jesus. You don't do it because, hey, I, I do it and that makes me God. I'm godly by doing these things. You do these things because in the end result, they produce godliness in our life. I'm sure you've heard the, prog- uh, the, the statement, right? Progress, I mean, practice makes perfect, Right? Coach Lombardi tweaked that. He said, practice does not make perfect. Only perfect practice makes perfect. The truth is, listen, no amount of practice makes perfect. But practice does make progress. And that's Paul's point to, uh, to Timothy here. And it's his point to us today. And stories abound of men and women who have progressed in their practice to become the top in their professions or the top in their sports because they've practiced and they've practiced. We all know the Olympic gymnasts and the Olympic athletes, what they've got to do to get to that level. They have to practice and, and, and Paul's telling Timothy, listen, if you continue in the spiritual disciplines, you will make progress. And then finally, your spiritual disciplines, you, you practice spiritual disciplines. Here's the last reason. Because it won't just change you, but it's going to influence others. It's going to impact others, not just you. Look at verse 16. Pay close attention, Timothy, to your life and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Again, I believe he's reaching all the way back up to, the, to disciplining yourself. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If you go back to the previous verse, he says, practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to yourself. Nope, he says, so that your progress may be evident to everyone. So you practice the the disciplines so that you might not just impact yourself, but so that you'll impact others because other people are watching you and other people are listening to you. I'm, I'm not the only preacher in the room this morning. You are all preachers. And I don't mean that you're preaching in the, in the setting or in the same way that I'm preaching, but I mean your life is preaching. Hey, parents, listen. Jesse, listen. Your life is preaching to your two little ones. And they will make life decisions based on what they've seen in you and Amy. Because you're preaching. Your life is preaching. It's not just your family, guys. It's not just your little children that are watching you. It's the people at work that are watching you. I can remember years ago, someone, a, a friend of mine coming to our church and discovering that there was a person in our church that worked with them. And they were shocked that the person was here because their life at work had such a radically different testimony than one of following Jesus. You see, folks, everybody's watching our lives. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, he says, look, man, 
Your progress is going to become evident to others as you progress in your spiritual disciplines and become more and more like Jesus. All right. What are the discipline? What are disciplines? What are the specific disciplines? You had a handout. If you have it, pull it out. Let me just run real quickly through such some of these disciplines. My, my goal this morning isn't even to explain these. It's just to note them. You have the sheet of paper. You can do your own research. But Dallas Willard, uh, he, he puts down this list. He compiles this list. And let's start with the disciplines of abstinence. Here, here's what he suggests that he sees in the life of Jesus. He says, a discipline of solitude. And, and that's where we spend time alone with God without anybody else there. Just me and God. A time where I listen to God. He separates that from silence. And he says there's a discipline of silence, removing all the noisy distractions so that I can hear from God. I think of solitude and the, the, the discipline of solitude and the discipline of... See, the discipline of solitude is when I get away from people and it's just me. Remember Jesus? Remember, remember Jesus? 40 days in the wilderness? But it wasn't just 40 days in the wilderness. All throughout his life, we see him getting up early before anybody else is awake and going out by himself. You know, but but there's also the, the you know, I guess Jesus probably didn't really have this because everything there was no radio and TV and Apple watches and and all the stuff that distracts us. But silence is a good thing. TV, getting rid of all of that stuff. Practice a discipline of silence at times, fasting, skipping, skipping food so that I might say to God, God, you're more important to me than food. And I really, I want, if I'm hungry, I want my, I want this to be a time where you nourish me. So fasting in the Bible is a spiritual discipline. Frugality, leaving, living a life of less and not more, not crowding my life with more and more things. Um, Living a simple life, frugality, secrecy, avoid self-promotion. Again, Willard got these from looking at the life of Jesus. And you'll remember Jesus didn't live a life of self-promotion. He, he lived a life of just practicing serving God and, and, and letting God use him wherever so he's saying, hey, in some ways, practice secrecy. I, I've thought about this this week. Does that mean that, hey, in this day of social media, whatever, that, that I can't have a, I don't mean me or you necessarily, that anybody can't have a platform by which they speak to more people? I, I don't think that's what he means. But, but I think, you know, the discipline would be serving behind the scenes I mean, if you are a public figure, you are a public figure. If God has elevated you to be an Apostle Paul or Apostle Peter in our day, you are what you are, right? But you know what? Paul and Peter could still be servants behind the scenes. And the discipline that I'm challenging you to is a discipline of serving secretly behind the scenes. So that, you know, you're not, you're not doing it for the praise of men. You're doing it for God. How about sacrifice, giving our resources beyond uh, what seems reasonable to remind us of our dependence on Christ? We'll talk more about dependence on Jesus next week. But there's, there's a discipline. And, and I'm giving you this list, not meant to be, I'm not trying to explain all these things. I'm trying to give you a list that, hey, if you want to go beyond this, you can go look these things up. You can look what other Christians have said about these disciplines. Here's some dis the, the disciplines of um, 
oh, I think I wrote it down wrong. Doggone it. Is it wrong on your sheet? Sorry. The discipline of, of actions, okay, would be like study, spending time reading scriptures and meditating on the Word of God. We already talked about how important that was. You know, that's something that, that was actually three points, right? Growing in wisdom. And then I said it should be one of those things that we, we strive to mature in. And this would be the third point that ties in with that. Hey, practice the discipline of study. Practice the discipline of spending time in your word to allow God to speak to you from it. And I even challenged, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago on that, was to just not just to read your scripture, but then to actually try to study it, delve in deeper, all right? Worship, you know, offering praise and adoration to, to God, singing praise to the Lord. Uh, keeping praise before you. Prayer, talking and listening to God about your relationship with God without distractions of other people. Again, these things can be practiced in solitude, with solitude and silence. Fellowship, mutually caring and ministry to one another in the body, re meeting regularly with Christians to encourage them. Confession, I don't think we do a good job with this. I mean, we regularly confess our sins to the Lord, but the Bible calls us to the discipline of confessing our sins to one another also. I don't think we need to do very well there because we're so scared. Not that we shouldn't be. I mean, uh, we, we don't want to confess our sins because we're afraid of people will use it against us, right? Find somebody if you can. Find someone that you would trust, that you can make yourself, you can confess your sins to them because in confession, I think you find freedom. And then finally, submission, humbling ourselves before God and uh, seeking, you know, a, a degree of accountability to, to the Lord uh, through other brothers. So those are the, that's the list that, um, that Dallas Willard came up with. You know what, folks, you can find, you can add to that list if you want, create your own list. But, but hey, understand what these spiritual disciplines are. They're routines that I practice regularly so that God will like me more. No, so that I, as practicing them, will be more like Jesus, okay? So where do we go from here? I'm finished, okay? So hang with me here. Where do we go from here? So here, I got two points at the end. Number one is tear down the big excuse. And you say, well, what's the big excuse? Here's the big excuse. Jimmy, I don't have time. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to pull away. I don't have time to study my Bible. I don't have time to be involved with the body of Christ. I don't have time. Listen, we all have the same amount of time. And I don't mean that there's not more, you know, uh, there's some guys in here who have a huge responsibility on them with their time. And I know that, right? They have huge responsibility on their time. I get it. That just simply means that if you've got a huge responsibility on certain portions of your time, then you're going to have to discipline yourself, train yourself to give up some of those other things so that you can discipline yourself spiritually, so you can practice the spiritual disciplines. You've got to make a choice. Listen, you can't watch, you can't watch season after season, episode after episode every night and then say, of some show that you really like, and then say, I don't have time to discipline myself. Turn your TVs off, everyone. You know, you, you might have to give up some of the things that you really like to discipline yourself, but that's why it's called discipline. That's why it's called discipline, because discipline isn't fun. It's hard work. We labor and we strive. So I'm challenging you to labor and to strive in the disciplines that God has put out for us that by doing them, he doesn't like me more. I'm not spiritual because I do them, but because if I do them, they will lead to my spiritual development and my growth in Christ. So tear down the big excuse and stop saying, I don't have time for this. 
You got time for what you want to make time for. I got time for what I want to make time for. Here's the second thing. Choose a spiritual discipline that you believe will help you grow and develop. And I'm asking you today. Remember, this is supposed to be somewhat practical as well as just defining the essentials of discipleship. It's supposed to be trying to help us practically do some things to help us grow. So what discipline do you need to choose to discipline yourself and then begin to practice it? What discipline have you let go of because you're old and you're in the coast mode and you need to change that? And you need to fix it. What, what, what discipline do you need to grow in? And uh, I gave, Dallas Wheeler had a big list, and you can make it bigger. Just go out on the internet and search spiritual disciplines and see what people say. Right? You can make up your own list. What, what, and I'd encourage you to do that. This would be a great study. Go out and do a list. Go out and find a li- your list of what are the spiritual disciplines that you think God wants you to invest in. But I tell you, the list is going to be overwhelming. This is going to be so big. And you're going to be like, oh, man, I can't tackle all that at one time. Here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm asking. Here's what I think God's asking you. Don't take everything on the list. But choose one or two disciplines. Maybe you can combine a couple of disciplines and begin to discipline yourself for the next few months. Begin to discipline yourself in that way. Come up with a plan. Come up with a, a focus. And, and, and choose to immerse yourself in training yourself in whatever disciplines you choose. And it's different for all of us. It's different for all of us. So just with your head bowed, I'm not asking you to figure it out now. It's just too hard to do that in the, in the few minutes here. But I am asking you, would you say, would you answer the question, God, am I willing to re-engage with spiritual disciplines? Would you ask yourself that question? And, and would you determine an answer? And be honest with yourself. Nobody knows but you and God, so you're not lying to anybody but God and you. So just in your own heart, say, God, am I willing to re-engage? I mean, have I, have I ever embraced spiritual disciplines? And if I, if I have, where am I with that now? A- am I as engaged as you would want me to be? Am I, in the framework of discipleship, is spiritual, are spiritual disciplines a part of my life? And if they're not, I'm asking you, would you today prioritize one or more disciplines, dedicate yourself to that discipline, hoping that it'll turn into a joyful habit and and have its end result that you will be trained in godliness. You will become more and more like Jesus. So I'm asking you, that's what I'm asking you. So take a moment just to decide whether or not you're willing to engage in disciplines. And if you're at home, I mean, how about closing your eyes? You're sitting there with your spouse or maybe your kids or whatever, maybe by yourself. Close your eyes nonetheless and just say, God, am I willing to engage in spiritual disciplines? All right, I'm going to assume that you've made a decision one way or another. So again, here's here's the application. Go forth from today, from this time, and figure it out. God, what, what do I need to discipline myself? And what do I need to go back and, and do better, correct in? What discipline am I going to choose for the next few months? I mean, the, the whole list is big, right? Choose one or two of them and, and, and work on developing them. And then when they become joyful habits, you can turn to another discipline. Father, I, uh, I thank you for our time this morning. And I thank you that, um, Lord, you have given us means you know, not, not an end, but a means to the end of becoming like Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that following after Jesus is not just this, it's, there's an end to it, Lord. We want to be like you. And I thank you for the promise of Romans 8, that we will be, by your grace, conformed to the image of Jesus. And Lord, in the kingdom to come, we're going to be like you. 
And Jesus, we're going to be like you. And we, we, you know, our minds, it's so hard to wrap our minds around what exactly that looks like in the kingdom to come, but we're going to be like you. Not fighting sin anymore. Being, being the kind of person filled with the fruit of the Spirit, having the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Lord, how, how thankful we are for that. Father, help us to recognize, Lord, that disciplining ourselves affects us now and affects us tomorrow. And uh, Lord, give us the grace, Lord. This, you know, it's not like we're alone, Lord. You have given us your Spirit to help us. Spirit, we ask you, help us. Help us to discipline ourselves for godliness, to strive and to labor, to labor for godliness, Lord, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. And thank you, Lord, for the last part of this, uh, of this framework is that Paul said he labors, but it's Christ who's laboring in him and he's dependent on you. So, Lord, we depend on you today and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Mm-hmm.